This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Later, we'll be joined by the new president of Eastern Kentucky University. Dr. David McFadden was chosen after leading the university as interim president for several months, right in the middle of these very challenging times. But first, we are coming up on a Kentucky election, unlike any November race before. It will include wide open absentee voting, early voting, and in-person precincts on election. Day. Ben Chandler is here with us this morning. Chandler has played lots of roles in Kentucky, a state auditor, attorney general, a former congressman, and he still wears a couple of hats. Chandler is head of the Foundation for a Healthy Kentucky. He can provide us some perspective on how Kentucky is dealing with the pandemic and how the opioid crisis may actually be getting worse. But he is also the chairman of the Kentucky Board of Elections, and he says Kentucky has a good plan for voting. He is concerned about funding it all and he's keeping watch on the post office, which had a big part in delivering the ballots, and he thinks there is a workaround for that. So we do want to welcome Congressman Chandler back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for speaking with us. Appreciate it very much. Always good to be with you, Bill. Are you pleased with the options that have emerged after some collaboration among the governor, the secretary of state, and the board of elections? Well, the best thing that has happened in this whole process, Bill, has been the bipartisanship of it. Uh, in this day and age, we see very little of that. And in Kentucky around these elections, it's really been outstanding. Uh, the governor deserves an enormous amount of credit for putting this plan together. So does the Secretary of State. Uh, governor Bashir, of course, appoints the Board of Elections. So uh, we work for him and we try to uh, put together the plan that he wants to have put together. Uh, that being said, the Board of Elections is bipartisan. And throughout the process, we have had unanimous votes. And we've come up with a plan that's a compromise plan that, uh, you know, every, a lot of people can complain about it. But at the end of the day, we have provided in this plan uh, more options to vote for the citizens of Kentucky than any plan in the history of Kentucky. This will be a historic election as a result of that. Uh, we think the turnout is gonna be tremendous, but we're concerned about a number of things. We're concerned about the system's ability to handle it. We've got 120 county clerks who are working their hearts out mm -hmm. to get this election uh, uh, handled, to handle it properly. And it's gonna be tough on them. They're, they've never done this before, but but boy, they have, they were heroic in the primary, and I believe they're going to do a tremendous job in the general as well. Well, tell us and tell the voters what options they will have, and some of that is already underway because they can already request an absentee ballot, right? Well, that's right. Uh, they've got really three fairly robust options. The first one is is that they can request an absentee ballot and either vote by mail or take the ballot down to a drop box uh, in their county. So they don't have to put their ballot in the mail if they don't feel like it'll get there in time. They can drop it off themselves at a drop box and their county clerk can tell them where that will be located. Uh, so that's one option, uh, absentee voting. And it, it, anybody can vote absentee if they're nervous about uh, the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. If they're nervous about the pandemic, that's reason enough. But you have to, you have to check that reason on your uh, application online on the portal. And that portal is open until October the 9th. 
So I urge everybody to who wants to vote that way to please get on the portal, do it early, request your ballot, but understand also you're not going to receive a ballot, and this is very important, you're not going to receive a ballot until the middle of September at the earliest. Right. And that's because the ballots haven't been printed yet. And they haven't been printed yet because all of the people who are going to be nominated by either the parties or as independent candidates uh, the deadlines haven't passed for that yet. All right, they're, they're early September. They're in-person options as well, right? Now, the, yes, and that's the the vote by mail option. Uh, there is also an in-person option, which is uh, much more available in this election than it has ever been. Also, uh, people have three weeks to vote in person. Uh, you can. Uh, go vote in person not only on weekdays but three Saturdays will be made available for people to vote leading up to the election and that period opens up right after the portal closes down on October 9th uh, so people will have early voting for uh, again three full weeks leading up to the election and then we're going to have more options on election day there are going to be uh, plenty of places to vote on election day uh, election Day will, will be available from the usual 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. local time throughout Kentucky, uh, just as it always has been. So uh, we're, we're going yeah. to have a, an election where everybody hopefully has the option to have their voice heard and they can vote in safety. All right, so having these alternative ways of voting is uh, far more costly than we've done it uh, conventionally. Uh, are you concerned about uh, getting those costs covered? Well, of course, the reason for that is the pandemic and the concern that everybody be as safe as possible. And a lot of our poll workers are elderly and uh, they're more, of course, vulnerable to this virus. So a lot of them are, are not interested in working the polls. So that's been one of the main reasons we've had to change. But yes, of course, we're concerned about funding the election. Uh, it's estimated to, to cost about $9 million more than a normal election. Now, that's statewide, and, and when you consider that number statewide, it really isn't that big a number. But uh, we are worried about funding. We hope Congress will fund it between now and the election. Uh, but this is an issue for, for all 50 states. Every state, I think, is probably going to spend more money on this election than they ever have. All right, as you know, President Trump has put out a lot of concern about absentees uh, potentially being unaccounted for, about the uh, Postal Service uh, potentially being slow to deliver them and them not arriving by the time of the count is underway. Uh, in Kentucky's June primary, 81% of Democrats voted absentee, 60% of Republicans. Do you worry about uh, these capacity issues? We definitely worry about the capacity issue, and, and we were strained pretty much in the primary, and uh, that's the probably the single biggest worry that we've got is our not just the capacity of the post office, but the capacity of the folks in the clerk's offices to be able to count the the mail the the votes the volume of the of the mail that comes in. Now that being said, we're going to plus up the the folks that we need, and I think we can handle it just fine. Yeah. I really do, and I also think, you know, there's no evidence that the post office. Uh, that, that there's any fraud connected with the post office. Uh, we believe that the post office will be able to deliver the ballots on time, but we do urge people to, to get their ballots in early. If they're gonna vote by mail, vote as early as they possibly can. 
uh, that's that's extremely important. The other thing that we've made available, as I said earlier, these drop boxes. So if you have any concern about the post office at all, you can simply take your ballot and put it in these very secure drop boxes that typically are going to be somewhere around the courthouse. Uh, they are uh, under surveillance at all times and uh, very, very safe. All right, so is the genie out of the bottle? Uh, if people like the convenience of more opportunities to vote, besides the uh, 12 hours on a weekday that we've had previously, or uh, having to swear an affidavit about why they uh, need an absentee, and those are very narrow and specific reasons, do you foresee this uh, response to a crisis uh, paving the way to a permanent change? Kentucky has had the most restrictive voting system in the country, really, if not the most, very close to being the most. And I personally think that people will like these options. I think it'll be very popular. Now, at the end of the day, of course, that's going to be up to the legislature. The election that we're holding this time is held under emergency circumstances, and uh, it will not go forward this way unless the legislature makes a change. So ultimately, again, the legislature is yeah. going to have to decide. All right, let me uh, have you switch hats for a second. Your uh, role with the Foundation for Healthy Kentucky, uh, also very important. You have been a part of Kentucky's response to COVID-19 and certainly been uh, keeping watch on that. We've lost more than 900 Kentuckians. Have we responded as well as we could? I have. I personally think the governor has done a tremendous job. He, he's doing everything he can. He's laser focused on it and trying very hard to protect the citizens of this state. That obviously has been his number one concern, uh, protecting the health of our people. And we as a health foundation are very much in favor of that approach. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it, it's a difficult thing. We've never faced anything like this before. We've never had to shut down our economy, uh, at least in anybody's living memory, as a result of some kind of pandemic. So uh, it, it's difficult, but I think the governor's done a tremendous job. Now, that being said, again, there's a lot that we don't know about this virus. There's still a lot that we don't know. But what the governor has done that, that I think is particularly noteworthy is he has very carefully followed the data and the science. Uh, he's not just making these decisions and pulling, pulling things out of thin air. He's actually following the facts, and I think that's extremely important. It's all we can do, really. Yeah, I know you're uh, quite a student of history, and we've enjoyed a lot of discussions about that over the years, and we, uh, we know we have been living history these last uh, few months, certainly. Uh, the opioid crisis has uh, been such a tough challenge for Kentucky for several years, and there are indications that there, in fact, is some hard data indicating it has gotten worse during the pandemic in terms of uh, overdoses. Uh, what needs to be done to turn those things around? I think you're exactly right. Uh, you know, stress levels are increased in a time like this. Uh, people uh, get lonely. They, they uh, have stress for a number of different reasons, and they're, they're concerned about lots of things. They're concerned about their jobs. Many people have lost their jobs. Uh, there, there's a lot of dislocation in our society now. And we, we really just have to, to make services available to people. We have to assure them that we're going to get through this, which, of course, the governor says all the time. We're going to get through this, and, and we will. But people have to, to work hard at it, and they have to, to handle the stress in, in some way. But what we have seen is 
we have seen a rise in the use of illicit drugs. We've seen a rise in overdoses. We've seen a rise in, in uh, tobacco usage and uh, in alcohol usage. And these are things that you would expect to happen in a society that is uh, dealing with a lot of stress for a variety of reasons. Congressman Ben Chandler, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Of course, who is now serving as the uh, chairman of the uh, State Board of Elections and also with the Foundation for a Healthy Kentucky. So uh, lots of perspective and we always appreciate you sharing it with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bill. Great to be with you. We welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. Eastern Kentucky University ended its search for a new president where it started. Dr. David McFadden took the reins last December as interim president and a national search was about to get underway for a permanent president. But as the world suddenly plunged into a pandemic, EKU's temporary leader had to make quick decisions and sweeping changes, including rapidly moving online in the spring and redesigning the fall semester. In those months of decisive action and rallying the team, the Presidential Search Committee and the Board of Regents realized they already had their next president. As a Paintsville native, Dr. David McFadden is from the University Service Region. He holds degrees from EKU, and his connections to Frankfurt are seen as an important asset. EKU President David McFadden is joining us. First time that he has joined us since his, uh, this became permanent. Congratulations on your selection. Thank, thanks for having me on, Bill. You've told us uh, the last time we interviewed you, you were serving early in your term as interim president, that you would like the opportunity to have this job full time. Uh, how key was it uh, for you to just put your head down and deal with the challenges as they hit uh, when COVID-19 came in? You know, Bill, I think the thing about this job is it, it is truly an honor to be the 14th president. And, and I was very open about the fact that I was going to actively pursue that opportunity to really serve the best interest uh, of the institution. Um, Eastern has had such a vital impact on my life uh, that coming and leaving the, the, the private sector to come to higher education nearly a decade ago when I made that decision was to, to leave a mark, to, to make the world a better place, uh, to serve something bigger than self. And, uh, and so really, you know, putting my head down and doing that work every day was the best thing I could do. Uh, to make sure that this institution had a very bright future. Well, how did you know what to do as, uh, as COVID-19 was hitting and suddenly, you know, you had to close campus and, and get uh, the, the learning to continue uh, and, and then try to figure out how to go forward? Well, Bill, I, the, the, the benefit I have here is that while I have the privilege of being the president, I have an amazing team of people on this campus, everything from public health experts to higher education experts to amazing faculty and staff who, who are committed to the cause of Eastern. And, we pulled together. Uh, we, we've worked more closely, um, uh, not in proximity, uh, but in the work that we do every day over the last eight months than we have uh, probably in the last eight years. And so uh, as we pulled together and brought the expertise to the table, what we realized is that we could do this and we could do it in a way that we felt like really delivered on that promise of the Eastern experience, even if our students weren't here on campus to finish the, the spring semester. But many of them are back now. So as the fall semester is getting underway and the students are on campus, how are things going so far? You have the mask requirements, the social distancing. Uh, you know, it's a very real challenge for students who, who want that college experience, and that is about making friends and, and broadening their horizons. How's it going? 
Well, I think, you know, Bill, as we've thought about uh, our Colonel's comeback plan and we, we talked about how this was going to work, what we, we early uh, discussed is the fact that the comeback plan and the experience that students were going to have this fall may be uh, the, the moment that they remember most about their education. It may be the, the moment that they learn the most about themselves and about their fellow students and about the world. And so we're looking at uh, our, our, our comeback plan and our mass compliance and our social distancing and good hygiene and good self, uh, you know, uh, health monitoring as part of that educational journey about becoming a global citizen, about putting others before self. And, you know, as we look at that, sure, there, there's opportunities for us all to get better every day. Uh, we're flexible and we're going to be responsive to, to those things. But but all in all, uh, very proud of our student body and, and their desire to want to be here and follow the rules. Uh, I can't say enough about our faculty and staff and their commitment to continue to deliver on uh, an exceptional experience for our students. And obviously you would much rather do enforcement uh, with a, a carrot than a stick. Uh, but, uh, you know, at this point, uh, Ohio State suspended hundreds of students for breaking the rules uh, in, the, in the middle of the pandemic. How are you handling instances where somebody isn't abiding by the rules and how far do you have to go? Yeah, at this point, you know, we, we're, we're looking for persistent behavior that's in non-compliance and our, our Office of Student Conduct is working with those students. You know, we're trying to apply a healthy dose of, of, of accountability and compliance with, with grace. We understand that sometimes uh, there's going to be incidents where students don't, uh, you know, maybe they don't do the right thing or don't know the right thing to do. Uh, we're going to help them. We're going to educate them. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're going to hold them to a high standard of accountability, just like we're going to hold ourselves to a high standard of accountability, because these are people's lives we're talking about and their livelihoods. And uh, we're going to need everybody to pull together, work together and do the right thing, make good decisions on a daily basis to make it work. So um, will we take that swift and decisive action if it's needed? Uh, absolutely, we will. Will we try to coach and educate and support those students? We're going to do that too. And so to that end, you are uh, regularly uh, communicating with the, the, the campus at large, even from your office, uh, as well as uh, the other entities on campus uh, that uh, can assist with this. Uh, also, uh, you have a university police department. Uh, you probably don't want to go there uh, unless uh, you have to, uh, but uh, you can enforce uh, the, the rules in uh, several ways. Yeah, I think that as we look at public safety, the, the lead for our COVID task force is our executive director for public safety, uh, environmental health and risk management. So we look at, uh, you know, all of those assets working together, thinking about environmental public health, thinking about public safety overall. Uh, our folks take an approach that, that is very much in the interest of the student having the safest, healthiest college experience. And so whether that's dealing with the pandemic or dealing with the normal uh, grind of what you would expect to, to go on on a college campus and, and those activities that, that we get engaged with. We have an outstanding team who, who try to help our students make the best decisions every day. There was some attention uh, to the football program a few weeks ago when some players left and alleged they didn't feel safe. Your athletics folks have now indicated uh, they have uh, really tried to use that as a learning experience. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as we looked at, uh, this has really been uh, uh, as we brought students back to campus, our, our student athletes were the first group to return. And in many ways, we learned institutionally along the way as, as they came back about testing and contact tracing and quarantine and isolation and all the, the, the things that go along with really bringing the entire student body back. So as we brought the entire student body back August 17th, we had had a, a really about a, a 30 to 40 day dry run 
with our student athletes. Uh, there were things we learned along the way, things that we understood that need to be re-emphasized and emphasized more to make sure that the student athletes and the coaches had the tools and the education they needed to, to do the work. But all in all, everyone was trying to do the right thing and try to do it the right way. I think, Bill, that in this environment, if you see something, you say something, and, and we appreciate that. Uh, we, we initiated a, uh, a compliance review. Uh, that review was completed. Uh, there, there were some opportunities there for us to, to reinforce uh, masking and social distancing activities um, uh, in, in places where perhaps it was a little bit lax. Uh, but all in all, everyone was trying to do the right thing, do it the right way. And as we looked at our testing results for the last three weeks, uh, those testing results have shown that, that we're doing the right things and we're, we're not seeing incidents of, of any type of spread uh, within our athletics program uh, for, for COVID-19. So I, I commend the work. Uh, that the, the coaching staff, the athletic support staff, uh, our investigative team who, who worked with the review, uh, everyone did, did, did their due diligence and we feel confident moving forward. Mr. President, the financial outlook for the state is tough. Uh, that of course trickles down to public higher education which uh, saw cuts for a dozen years until now and Governor Andy Beshear actually gave public universities a small boost in the current budget but we know it's tough going forward. What scenario are you preparing for? Well, Bill, as we look at this and having worked in Frankfurt for 20 years, it's, it's not going to be hard to see that there is a, uh, a dramatic impact on, on local and state government revenues uh, that are coming. As we look at the notion that perhaps 35% of small businesses are not going to survive uh, the impact of this pandemic, as we look at our state in the Commonwealth of Kentucky as a relatively small rural state that has a high demand for public services um, and an unemployment rate that is, that is astronomically high, we know there's going to be impact to state revenues. And so we are bracing and preparing uh, for a negative impact on our state appropriation. We're going to work with, obviously, the governor's office and, and the legislature uh, to try to mitigate those impacts. But we understand that, it, that these are going to be some tough days ahead uh, as we start to look at the economic impact and kind of the, the short term and long term of COVID-19. I've been working with a few economists and looking at that um, just uh, as an area of interest. Uh, the, the impacts on state and local governments for COVID-19 are going to far exceed likely the housing um, recession that we saw in 2008. In fact, some predictions say that next year alone, the, the, uh, the revenue impacts for state and local governments may exceed the totality of what we saw in the recession uh, in 2008. Wow. There is a social upheaval, obviously, in the country right now. Uh, is the university making uh, any adjustments uh, to recognize and, uh, and raise awareness of uh, racial justice issues? Well, I'd say, Bill, that uh, taking the, the interim assignment uh, back in December, one of the first things on my list to, to do was to really uh, try to put a leader in place uh, at the highest level in the institution to, to address diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so we set out uh, to, to find our first vice president for diversity, equity, and inclusion and strategic initiatives. We were successful in, in having a national search and finding someone who was right here in Kentucky, Dr. Danny Moore, uh, who came on board back in July to, to take over that leadership position. And this is going to be a, a hallmark of the work that we're doing on campus this fall. We're, we're going to be uh, having some very consequential and probably some difficult conversations about how we grow as an institution, how we help make this college experience uh, create global citizens who understand what inclusive excellence looks like. And, and we're going we're gonna to be a part of that conversation. We're going to be a part of that solution 
as, as an institution of higher learning. And that's part of what we do. Uh, I, I consider that to be uh, fundamental to the, to the goals of, of, of an educational institution. Given all the challenges that are going on right now, I know the, the liftoff of your administration is uh, certainly tough, uh, but uh, you're young, you could be there a long time. What are your goals uh, at the university uh, when things get to some new normal uh, going forward? What would you like to see for EKU? Well, I think, Bill, you know, if, if we broke it down to its most, most basic tenets um, as an alum of our institution, my hope every day is that the work that, that I do and the work that our, our administration does uh, adds value to those diplomas that are hanging on the walls of all those colonels out there. And we've got over 140,000 living alumni uh, all throughout Kentucky and all across the world. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of expectation for us to do the right thing and do it the right way. And I think if we were to look back on this administration, we're going to be bold. We're going to be innovative. We're going to be willing to change. We're going to respect the past, but we are going to move into the future with intentionality and purpose. And we're going to do that in a way that's going to ensure that this institution is here to serve for many generations to come. And so when we look at what, what, are, the, what are the tenets of that, it's going to be financial stewardship. It's going to be academic excellence. Uh, it's going to be student success. And at the end of the day, we're going to realize that, that our, our goal to serve students who are looking for their opportunity is, is the work that we do every day. And that's good work, and it's work that, uh, that we need to be uh, supporting one another and doing uh, long into the future. Do you expect to have an official uh, inauguration, or do you just uh, wade into the waters, given all the circumstances? I think at some point I hope that we can have some small um, installment opportunity to, to engage our, our community, our alumni, our faculty, our staff. And, and truly, um, as I sit here, for, for me personally, uh, it is humbling to, to be the 14th president. But the notion that there's only been 14 presidents uh, since 18, uh, since 1906, when the legislature made Eastern Kentucky University uh, the establishment of, of the institution back in 1874, um, uh, you know, it's it's significant and it's significant for the institution and and it's uh, it's something that I think that our campus will want to be a part of. Dr. David McFadden, the new president of Eastern Kentucky University, thanks for being with us. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Stay with us now. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. We welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers on WKYT. As we talk about this unusual election year, we remind you uh, that right now the absentee ballot portal for the state is open at GoVoteKY.com that launched last Monday. You do need to request an absentee ballot by October 9th, and those requesting now will get theirs probably late in September, around the 1st of October. There is some delay on that. Early voting will start on October 13th, and there will be in-person options on November 3rd as well. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. Make it a good week ahead.